If you're an accredited investor looking for an incredible opportunity to invest your money, I have exactly what you're looking for. I have put together a fund where we are loaning money to fix and flip investors for their investment properties. And I'm looking for investors right now. We provide steady income for our investors. We are focused on capital preservation. We have minimum target of returns that we plan on giving back to our investors. And this opportunity is incredible. Like I said, this fund is lending to the best of the best. And we're looking for people to come aboard and be investors and go along for the ride as this thing grows. I'm super excited about it. Right now, we're only talking to accredited investors. So if that's you and you want more information, reach out to me at mike at juststartrealestate.com and I will get you all the information. Guys, this fund is amazing and we are so different from everybody else. And one of the biggest differences, we don't just lend money to anybody. Anybody who comes along with an application doesn't get money from us. You have to have a track record. We have to know that your business is strong and healthy. And that's who we lend to because our commitment to our investors is that we will protect their money and we will give them consistent, reliable returns. Guys, if you're interested in this and you want to come along on that journey with me and my company, reach out to me now, mike at juststartrealestate.com. I cannot wait to talk to you. But I was going kind of slow and steady. If I were to do it over again, I would have gotten a deal much faster. I would have gotten a deal in a month or, or less probably and probably made money within two or three months if I knew what I, what I know now because I would have been making offers more aggressively, which is what I teach people and what I, what I tell people. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right. Thank you for joining me here on the podcast, Just Start Real Estate. I appreciate it. I appreciate you being here and tuning in, guys. This is another live Q&A that I'm excited to bring you because we had some really fun discussions that happened and uh, had a lot of good uh, info for the folks that were asking questions live. If you want to check those out live, they happen every Wednesday from uh, at uh, starting at 7 p.m. Eastern and 4 p.m. Pacific. And you can log on and ask questions in real time. I will answer them. We can have some back and forth. It's a lot of fun. It's a great way to uh, be able to ask me questions. If you ever want to, then you can log on to Facebook. Go to Just Start Real Estate on Facebook and uh, join in on the fun. Today, in this episode, we talked about expanding your business. When is the right time to expand your business? We also touched on partnerships and what that means and what a good partnership looks like and what to look out for if you're thinking about taking on a partner. Uh, the question was asked about uh, being in business with a spouse. Like, what, what does that look like? And what are my thoughts on, on working with your spouse? I did that. Me and my wife started our business together as house flippers. And, uh, and we were able to grow and have success. And I have definitely thoughts on working with your spouse. And, um, and then also somebody asked the question about growing too fast. Can you grow too fast? And as much as a, a growth-minded person that I am, and I like scale, and I like, I'm very impatient, I, I, like, I don't like to wait for things, uh, we had a good uh, discussion about growing too fast. And yes, the answer is you can grow too fast. Uh, but check out the rest of that answer, because I think it, uh, it applies to a lot of people who are trying to grow, and they're wondering what that looks like if you go too fast. So guys, without any further ado, I'm going to jump right into today's Q&A. I give you me on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern Q&A. Here we go, guys. All right, guys, here we are. We are live on our every Wednesday, 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern time, Facebook Live. We are 4 o'clock 
uh, Pacific time. And uh, I am excited to be here with you guys again. Let me turn down my volume on my computer. There we go. So I don't get that feedback. Uh, guys, thanks for being here. I appreciate this. I'm excited to be here today. I am really excited because my program is launching next week. And if you haven't signed up yet, if you haven't checked it out, you can look in the description of this live or you can go uh, to businessfasttrackblueprint.com and all the information is there. Uh, we also have a uh, webinar that I did last week. It's attached here. If you uh, look on this page, you can see it. It's pinned and you can get a lot more information about the program. But essentially this, here's what's happening. I... Uh, I started this program because I, I really want to try to reach as many people as possible. And I have helped so many people, so many people over the last five, six years. Uh, I have watched people grow their business from absolutely nothing to well over seven figures and eight figures. And I've seen people take an existing business that they were struggling with and just didn't know what to do. They didn't know what to do next, how to grow it, how to scale it. They weren't really sure what they were doing right, what they were doing wrong. And uh, and I was able to help them get over that hump and really scale profitably in, in, and turn it into the business that they actually wanted, right? The, the reason that they maybe left their nine to five to begin with, uh, because a lot of people get caught up in this rat race. You know, we, we work this nine to five, we hate it. We feel like we're just a cog in the engine. And, and then we start our own business only to find that we're working more hours, we're not necessarily making more money and we're stressed and we just don't know what to do. So those folks need help. And how do I know and how am I so qualified to help them? Because I was I was that. I, I spent five years trying to get started, right? So I know what it's like to try to get started and to be in that that muck, that that just be in that rut where you just don't know what to do because you don't even know where to start. You don't know what's important. You don't know what you do first. And then I also know what it's like to get started and have no idea how to scale it beyond you know the amount that you're able to do on your own. And so I'm, I think I'm uniquely qualified to help both those types of, of folks. And that's why this program addresses those problems. And in the program, we will answer questions. I will answer questions. When I say we, I mean me, but there will be other people in the program who will be able to participate and, and you, there will be a little bit of interaction with you guys too. But uh, I will help you uh, get out of that, that, that muck because I know what it feels like to be there. I know what it feels like to just not know what I don't know. And so in this program, I will be answering questions that you didn't even anticipate. You didn't even know you should have, right? And that's really the beauty of of seeking someone out who has a business that you emulate to have or someone who's farther along in the process than you are they know what happened to them they know what questions and what challenges they encountered and so it's sort of i say this all the time but i i, I really think it's very accurate in this program, I am going to allow you to not only use all of my experience that I've had helping other folks build their businesses, but you can use my hindsight as your foresight. So all the things that I look back and wish that I would have done differently or anticipated, and I didn't know because I didn't know it was coming, I can tell you about them and so that you can avoid those things going forward. So if you can use other people's hindsight, if you can use my hindsight, right? They say hindsight's twenty twenty. So if you can see clearly into my past and use that to project into your future, it's a very powerful thing. And I, I know because I've done it, I have had folks in my life, mentors, coaches uh, who've done that for me. And I can tell you there's, there's, no, there's no more single thing, bigger thing that happened to me in my business than that. 
So that's what I want to bring to you guys. So if you want to check it out, there's a link down in the comments. You can go to uh, businessfasttrackblueprint.com or click on that link and go check it out. We're starting next week. I want you to be there. I want you to be in that group. Uh, I am not someone who offers like all these you know things and all these programs like, oh, another one of those. No, this is the first time I've ever done it because I am passionate about what I'm doing. And I want to make sure that whatever I put my name on, whatever I do, is of high quality. So go and uh, check it out. Okay, let's get on to the questions for this week. Again, guys, ask questions in the comments right now. Like if you're here and you want uh, to ask me something, then ask it, throw it in the comments and uh, I will answer you. Otherwise, I am gonna go to the questions that I get on Instagram, on TikTok, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, on Facebook, through email all week long, people are reaching out and asking and trying to get help. And so I, I curate those questions and bring them here so that we can answer them in a kind of a group forum and everyone can benefit from them. So uh, I'm just going to kind of start at the top here and go down. Um, I really don't look at these questions too much before uh, before we log on. And certainly the ones you guys ask in the comments, I, I have no clue. But uh, even the ones that we get throughout the week, I, I don't because I, I really want to be able to answer them sp spontaneously and, and not overthink it. So uh, the first one I'm looking at this, I did skim them before I right, right as I was logging on tonight. So uh, there's some good ones tonight. I'm, I'm excited. Uh, the first one, how long did it take you? Uh, I'm sorry. How long did it take for you to start making a profit in your business? Good question. So in my business, I started off as a house flipper. Uh, I do a lot of wholesaling now. I have buy and holds. I'm doing other things. But when I started, I was just purely house flipping because that's all I knew. I didn't know of anything else. So that's what I started as. So for me, um, how long did it take? So once I got a property under contract, it took me about three and a half, four months to be profitable because that's how long it took me to do my first deal. But if you want to like look back at like, well, when did you actually start making offers to the to when you first um, made money? If, if you look at it that way, it probably took me closer to eight months because the first property that I put an offer in on that got accepted, this was like right going like right at the beginning of 08 when things were really starting to go bad. And I had gotten a, um, a loan through a, a very small mortgage company, local small mortgage company. And before the closing, it went out of business. And so I lost my funding and I lost, um, I lost the deal because it, it went to somebody else and uh, I lost my escrow and it was, it was kind of a bad deal. It was kind of devastating. It was a couple thousand dollars and it was a huge lesson. And it took me about five, or, about five months um, to find the next deal. But the interesting thing was because house prices were dropping, and that's kind of the opposite market that we're in now, where house prices are like kind of going up or maybe in some places leveling off, but essentially it's a hot market, right? I was in a declining market. So I made an offer on a house. Uh, the offer that got accepted, the first one that fell through was for $80,000. Um, that fell through. Five months later, I found a house in the same subdivision, same neighborhood, same basic house but I bought it for $40,000 five months later. Like that's how badly and how fast things were crashing. <clears throat> so it was really a blessing in disguise because had I bought that first house for $80,000, I would have lost money. It would have been a real devastating situation. So getting it for $40,000, we put $15,000 into it and we ended up making about $15,000 once we sold it and paid back you know, the loan and all the holding costs and all that stuff. We made about $15,000 and it took me 
uh, like three and a half months from the time that I got the first deal under contract and, and got that house, you know, uh, and took possession of it. Uh, but if you go back to when I first started like making offers, like I, I really considered that probably when I started, it took about eight months, but I was going kind of slow and steady. If I were to do it over again, I would have gotten a deal much faster. I would have gotten a deal in a month or, or less probably, and probably made money within two or three months if I knew what I, what I know now, because I would have been making offers more aggressively, which is what I teach people and what I, what I tell people. Real estate's a numbers game. Finding deals, getting deals under contract, like volume and scale, it's a numbers game. You can't make one offer, kind of sit around, wait, you know, negotiate, see what happens and then make your next offer. Like, honestly, not everybody wants to scale and not everybody wants to do hundred deals a year. I get that. But if you're in a hurry at all to get your first deal, you really can't make one offer at a time. And some people have a mental block. They go, well, how can I make two offers? I can't buy two houses, right? Well, because if, if the offer gets accepted or countered, you still have a period of time where you can get out if you don't want to do it, right? Uh, but the reality is, you know, depending on the market you're in, and in this market, it's probably even really more of a thing because it's so hard to get deals. You're going to make dozens, dozens and dozens of offers. I mean, you might have to make 20, 30, 40, 50 offers, depending on how strong your offers are and how aggressive you're being and a lot of factors where you live and all that kind of stuff. But it could take several offers to get your first deal in this market. Back then, I really, if I would have, if I was making 10, 15 deal or 10, 15 offers a month, I would have gotten a deal like that because it was just a lot easier to get deals back then. People were freaking out and just trying to get out of their house and they wanted to sell, sell, sell. It was like rats off a ship. Uh, and this market is a little tougher, but in any market, it's a numbers game. You can't make one offer and expect to do one deal. Right? You got You have to make multiple offers. And there's a lot of strategies behind that, a lot of ways you can do it. And how do you do it so you're not wasting people's time, including your own? Um, there's definitely a right way and a wrong way to do that. There's a smart way to do it. There's a systematic way to do it. There's a way to do it without ruining your reputation because you don't want to make a bunch of offers and get a bunch of realtors mad at you, right? So you, there's ways that you can do this so that you can position yourself so that you're in the game, you're making offers, you're in play with houses, but you're not necessarily wasting your time and a bunch of realtors times. But uh, it is a numbers game and it took me... Um, about eight months, if you consider the first time I got an offer accepted before I was making money, and my first deal I did fifteen thousand dollars. So that's a fairly like you know base hit kind of a deal. It's not anything you're going to retire on, but for me, and even still, like fifteen thousand dollars, like that's awesome. That's great, and it blew my mind when I did it. And more importantly, it was proof of concept for me, proof of concept for my wife, and it made it a lot easier for me to make offers the next time because. My wife was my business partner. And as, as I've talked about on this live in the past and on my podcast and things, um, she's conservative. She's not aggressive with money. She's not a big risk taker. I am. Uh, but once she saw that and said, oh, okay, I see what happened here and I see the process. And it, a lot of it was demystified because we did one, right? So the best way to get education about real estate is to go out and do real estate for sure. Um, but once that happened, it was demystified. We saw that there was money to be made and we went out and started making more offers and getting more deals. And that was where it started. Okay, uh, next question. Are you currently worried about a real estate bubble? Why or why not? Um, we've definitely touched on this in the past. Um, I am not worried about a real estate bubble for a lot of reasons. Um, uh, but really, at the at the end of the day, here's the thing. When I start going down this road with people who are thinking about getting into real estate or thinking about growing or you know scaling their business, 
and they start talking about a real estate bubble and should I wait? And I saw somebody on, on Facebook say this, and I saw someone on Instagram and somebody on YouTube, and I just don't know what to believe. Here's what I say. I know real estate investors who have been in real estate for 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years. Okay. Real estate works, real estate investing, I should say, works in any environment, in any climate. I was making money, by the way, when the last bubble happened, I made money. And I know people who made money before the bubble, during the bubble, after the bubble. I don't think we're going to experience what we did back in 2008. Um, there's a lot of economic indicators. Uh, and I have a good friend of mine, Terry Berger, who uh, is really, really great at forecasting this stuff and some other folks that I really that I really pay attention to. But one of the differences this time is last time the banks were kind of at the heart of this. The banks were making bad loans. The banks were um, giving mortgages to people who had no business having mortgages. And it all kind of fell apart. And when it fell apart, the housing market was crashing. And so people couldn't sell their house because they were upside down. They were over leveraged. You know, it was a disaster. This time around, the banks aren't, they were not like they were in, in, in like the you know mid to early 2000s. They're not writing horrible loans up to this point. They're still pretty, pretty sensible about what they're doing. But maybe more importantly, the, the housing situation is different. So if people are losing their jobs or, you know, some things are happening that they would need to get rid of their house, the difference is most people have equity now because the market's so strong. Even if you didn't have equity a year or two ago, you may have equity now because of the housing market is so crazy good. So people lose their jobs and things before they had to foreclose, you know, back in 08, they had to foreclose because they're, they're, they were underwater. Their house prices had plummeted and it was, you know, bad. This time around, house prices are soaring. So, you know, all things being equal, you can sell your house now. You don't have to foreclose. You don't have to walk away. And, and so I don't think we're going to see quite the collapse or the bubble bursting that we had back in 08. Um, you may agree or disagree. It almost doesn't matter because like I said, when I start getting into the weeds of this conversation and this topic with people, I always sort of default to the big picture and say, listen, if you're thinking about, if you want to do real estate, if you want to be a real estate investor, go be a real estate investor. Do not worry about the market in terms of starting or not starting, but here's what you have to worry about. You need to know where we are in the market and you need to find people who understand how to play get how to play ball in that market. So uh, in a market like this, uh, it, it's actually pretty easy once you get something under contract, because if you could just get that thing renovated or whatever you're going to do, get it back on the market fast, chances are it's, it's going to appreciate. I, I never think you should count on appreciation, uh, but it's there. But in a, in a, a declining market, in a, in a market that's really, really hot, like we're in now or in a flat market, Real estate investing works in all of those markets. It's not like, oh, I have to wait for the certain market condition before I can make real estate investing work. Like, tell that to somebody who's been doing it for 15 years or 20 years and they've been through all of, you know, kind of all the cycles. It all works. You just have to have your ear to the ground. And maybe more importantly, you need to surround yourself with people who've sort of been around and seen some stuff and they know what to look for and they know how to make offers in a, in a hot market like this. They know how to make offers in a flat market. They know how to make offers and close deals in a declining market. And they understand those market cycles. One thing I can say, and when where I saw most people who got burned in, in going into 08, 09, when everything sort of crashed, is they were involved in long-term projects. So be, be a little bit careful about long-term projects. But that being said, 
you know, if you would have asked me uh, 15 months ago or 12 months ago, what I thought was going to happen, I thought we would have already seen a shift by now in the market. I, I didn't necessarily say it was going to crash, but you would have seen a, a shift already. It was something that would have changed, right? So obviously I didn't know. And a lot of, I mean, dozens of people that I talked to, highly respected people in the industry didn't know. Nobody knows, but my gut tells me that we're probably going to flatten out a little bit, but I don't think it's going to crash like it did before. So if you're thinking about getting in, um, get in, start and scale, like just do it. Because if, if you're, if, especially if you're a young person, like you're going to see market cycles come and go over the years. You can't get in and out. Like, I mean, you can, but you don't need to get in and out. You just have to know how to, how to play the game in that market. So learn how to play the game in this market. And frankly, I, I tell people all the time too, if you can succeed in the market that we're currently in, I personally think this is the toughest market, the market we're in now. It's easy to sell houses, but it's difficult to buy them because the prices are really, really high. Everyone knows they can get a ton of money for their house. It's really hard to buy a really good proper, you know, really good deal right now, like an investment. It's, it's, it's a tougher. So if you can survive in this market, I think you'll dominate. And, and all the other market cycles, just my personal opinion, right? Um, that doesn't mean you should wait because I don't know how long this is going to last and I don't know how much it's going to crash or, or level off or dip or whatever it's going to do. So get in now, but get help, seek advice from people who have been around and sort of seen what's happening and they know how to navigate through these waters. If you want me to do that, then go to, go take my program. I'm starting it next week. And this is exactly the conversations we're going to have with folks inside the program. So uh, go check it out. There's a link in the comments. Okay. Uh, if I'm just getting started, is flipping or wholesaling real estate a better path? You know, I hate the, the answer. It depends, but it really does depend. Neither one is better. I'll say that, right? Like short answer. I'll, I'll do the short answer first. It really, it really depends. And it depends on you. It depends on your goals. It depends on your temperament. It depends on your skill set, what you're good at and what you really want. So I started off as a house flipper because in my day job, I was like a project manager. I managed timelines and budgets and I managed people and I had to keep like, they weren't contractors. They were working directly for the company I worked for, but essentially keep these, these workers on track and the quality had to be there and the timing had to be there. And there was a budget we had to maintain. So I was good at all that. And to me, it seemed logical. I should flip uh, houses because all the things that are involved, I kind of have that skill. But what I didn't realize was I was miserable in my day job, right? That's part of the reason why I went to real estate and started real estate. I was miserable. So to me, to create this business that relied on my day skills, looking back, right? Hindsight being 2020, that was sort of crazy. I hated my day job. Why would I create a business that relied on my day skills? I didn't like it for somebody else. I, I didn't love it for me either, but I did that for like five or six years. And, and I, I did a pretty good job. But once I switched my model over to wholesaling, and that's a whole story, like, why did I switch? What was the reason? Why would, I, why would someone switch from flipping to wholesaling? Well, when I did switch over to wholesaling and I did a few wholesale deals, it was so much more enjoyable to me, so much better. I was so much more invigorated. I wanted to get up and do it every day. Like I was passionate about growing that business. I was passionate about learning and training and building a team and really building it out even more so than I was in, at flipping houses. I liked flipping houses. I enjoyed certainly the profits, um, but the structure of a wholesale business is more exciting and, and plays to my personality and my real skill set of what I'm like naturally good at. Wholesaling makes more sense for me. 
that is not true of everyone. Some people flipping houses plays way more to their skill set, what they're good at, what they're passionate about, what they enjoy. It hits all of the all of the buttons. It also depends on how much time you have to devote to it. Are you working full time or are you going to do this full time? Now, the, the next thing I'm going to say is highly controversial. I guarantee if I brought on 10 real estate investors, I would get vehement disagreement from some of them, maybe all of them, but for sure some of them. But I've done both, guys. I know what's involved, intimately know what's involved with both business models, wholesaling and flipping. And I believe with every fiber of my being that flipping houses and running that business is much easier with a day job than is wholesaling. Wholesaling is, in my opinion, way more hands-on, way more activity-driven, and more of those activities have to be done by you, the business owner, or your your direct team. Um, listen, there's it's it's arguable, right? I, we could argue this. I could probably argue both sides, but I really believe wholesaling is is the more active, the more uh, business model that requires more of your attention or your team's attention. Flipping houses, I did that while I had a day job. For a handful of years, I did that with a day job. I never tried wholesaling with a day job, but I could not imagine trying to be really good and scale a wholesaling business with a day job. I just, I've done them both. I don't think I could do that, but I could definitely do flipping uh, with a day job. My daughter came to me, wanted to get involved in real estate. Um, she wasn't sure house flipping or wholesaling. I directed her toward flipping and she's done quite well. She was able to get uh, three deals within like four or five weeks and flip those houses and, and she's she's crushing it. And she has not only a day job, she also uh, does part-time uh, like consult. She's a, a, a social worker. She does part-time social work uh, consulting at night after her day job. She do, During the day, she works for a school system. At night, she does her own thing in the social work world. And she's still able to flip houses. So I, I know that model is a better fit for people who don't have a lot of time. So that's that's my super long answer. Uh, should I try to do real estate remotely is the next question. <clears throat> um, depends. Again, it depends on where you are and what your goals are. If you live now, there's exceptions to every every rule, right? Uh, I would say as a rule, it's difficult to do, let's just say um, real estate, uh, like, you know, being a landlord, if you want, you know, and it says, should I try real estate remotely? I don't know what kind of real estate you're talking about. If you want to be a landlord, if you want rental property, single family homes, it's really difficult to do in Southern California. Very difficult, right? There's exceptions to that. I, I spoke to someone recently on my podcast who has rentals in Southern California and they're cash flowing and it's great for them. But in general, it's hard to do. So if that's your goal and you're in Southern California, yeah, I think you should do it remotely. I think you should get rentals in other states where it's way, 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 way more favorable. It makes way more financial sense to do it somewhere, somewhere else. If you're flipping houses and wholesaling, again, so I'll, just, I'll pick on Southern California just because I know the market's really, really difficult and competitive. You may want to do it remotely, or you may want to just go inland a little bit more. Like you might want to drive for an hour or two to find uh, a town or a county that is a little less competitive, a little less hot, or or do it remotely. I mean, in my opinion, if you're going two hours to do real estate, you might as well be, you know, three states away. It's just, it's super, and you're not going to go there every day if you're two hours away. So if, if you're going to drive two hours, you can almost do real estate anywhere remotely. And I know a lot of people doing it and certainly you can do that. But if you're in in a market where, you know, it's it's moderate to reasonable, like 
competitiveness, like the, the amount of people that you're competing with is not ridiculous, then I, I, would, I don't do it remotely personally because I'm in a market that's, it's competitive, but it's not overly competitive. So there's no reason for me to go remote when everything I could ever want is within an hour drive of me. Every kind of flip, every kind of wholesale deal, every kind of um, uh, rental, single family home rental, multifamily, like it's, I'm, I'm in like a very fertile real estate investing um, market. And so I don't have to go anywhere, but if I did live in Southern California, I may do it outside of the state because I just think it would be the cost of entry is a little lower. The, the competitiveness is lower. And I think you have a better shot as a new investor of getting off the ground and, and getting some, some traction. So that's why I would uh, do it remotely if you're thinking about it. Okay. Next question. Um, and we're, we're cruising through these guys. So ask questions if you have them in the comments and we will get to those as well. Uh, next question. You always talk about hiring a coach or a mentor. <laughs> Why do I need one? Uh, okay, so here's the thing. You don't have to get a coach or a mentor if you wanna start a real estate investing business. You should get a coach or a mentor or join a mastermind if you want to start a real estate investing business and you want to avoid a ton of costly mistakes and you want to do it much, much, much faster than you can do it on your own. Okay. That's why you should get a coach or a mentor. You don't have to. I didn't get a coach or a mentor for um, about seven years into my real estate journey. And for seven years, I was probably running a subpar business. I know I was running a subpar business because I know what I can do now and I know what I learned. And so I wasn't able to achieve the level of success, financial freedom and freedom of time that I wanted in those first seven years because I didn't get help. And then once I reached out and, and sought help and, and joined a mastermind and got some coaching, got some mentoring, once I did that, my business exploded, like, ex I mean, literally exploded. If you look at a chart, it's, it's like going along, kind of going up, kind of getting a little better, kind of leveling off, leveling off, and then poof, it just shot up at one point in time. And if you went to that point in time and said, what changed? What changed in your business? The only thing I can point to is I joined a high-level mastermind. I surrounded myself with people who were doing better than me and knew more than me. And they could, I could use their hindsight as my foresight. That's the, that's the big change. And if that hadn't happened, the likelihood of that explosive growth and that explosive uh, profit growth wouldn't have happened. It just wouldn't have. So do you need one? I don't know. Do you want to avoid a ton of costly mistakes? Like, by the way, making a mistake and losing money is one form of like costing yourself money. But there's something else that's called opportunity cost. Opportunity cost is when you miss out on the opportunity to do things, which cost you money by, by way of not making it, right? So if I, if I don't know of something that could help my business go from zero to a million dollars, well, I didn't have to give anyone a million dollars, but I did lose it because if I would have known that thing or those things or gotten that help and I could have gotten to a million dollars... Well, that's the opportunity cost was a million dollars, right? My opportunity cost that I missed out on in my first five years of just sitting around and not even before, like before the six or seven years, like before that, there was five years of nothing, inactivity. I wasn't even getting started. I was frozen with fear. The opportunity cost, I've calculated it because I'm just crazy enough to do that. I went back and calculated that opportunity cost and it was like $3.1 million of opportunity cost. Now, did I have to pay someone $3.1 million? No, I didn't have to pay them that, but I missed out on it right? 
It's like a lottery ticket that you rip up that you realize after the fact was a $3 million lottery ticket. You didn't have to pay anybody $3 million, but it hurts to know that you should have had that, but you didn't because you did something wrong or screwed up or didn't do something. So that's I coach or a mentor don't need one unless you care about the opportunity cost, or if you want to avoid a bunch of mistakes that will actually cost you actual money. I made mistakes in those first five years that actually cost me money. I had to fork out money um, because I screwed something up and I wouldn't have if had I gotten a little more help. So, uh, okay, this is the last question, guys. So this is going relatively quickly. I don't know if it's because I'm just starting to get really good at answering clearly and succinctly, or if I'm talking fast. So uh, if you want to ask questions, go for it. If not, I'm going to hit this last one. Should I start bringing leads into my company first or build out my team first? This is an easy one, guys. And this one will not take long. The short answer is 100%, 10 out of 10 times, I can't say this loudly or clearly enough. You must start driving leads into your company. Why do you need a team if you don't have leads, right? It's it's not the chicken and the egg. It's, it's not that confusing. It's really straightforward. You are not a real estate investor until you start getting leads, making offers, getting houses under contract and making money. The team can come after the leads. I have seen too many people, and you can probably tell I'm passionate about this. I have seen too many people prepare to prepare to have a business, right? Business cards, letterhead, logos, websites, all these things that people busy themselves with, hiring a VA, creating a training manual. Like it's all stuff that need to happen in due time. But in the beginning, before you even are driving leads and you know this person's asking, should I bring leads into my company or build up my team? You want a team sitting around twiddling their thumbs, doing nothing, asking you what they should be doing and you being stressed out because you can't pay them, then build your team first, right? But if you want to get the, you have to get the gears going, like get that, get those gears grinding forward, oil them up, get that engine working and then start building a team around that, right? Don't worry about business cards, letterhead, logos, websites, CRM, all these things I, I preach, you eventually need. But in the beginning, and I've had this conversation multiple times recently with people, I, I just can't stress enough. Tr the first thing you do is go find leads, go get leads, start making offers, get a house under contract monetize it, whether you're flipping it, wholesaling it, you're going to make it a buy and hold, whatever you're going to do, do that, make money, and then then start building your team. I, I, I'll argue with anybody, if anybody wants to argue about that, I, because I've, I've done both. I, I know it. I've seen people do both. I've seen both ways. It, the, the only way that works is getting leads, making money, become a business, and then bring in a team, right? And I'm not shy about building a team fast or, or building a team for the company you want to be someday, but you need some momentum going forward first. Get some forward momentum before you start building the team for the company you want to be, right? When you're not, you're not a company until you start making money, in my opinion, right? You may have an LLC, you may have a bank account. You are not a company until you start producing revenue and profits. So make some revenue, make some profits, build your team. 100, 100%. Very easy one, in my opinion. Okay. Tanya Rooney. All right. What's up, Tanya? Uh, what if I don't want to deal with the details after I've started my business? I, I don't want to deal with the details uh, at all. And, and to be honest with you, it's a great question because 
I did deal with the details in my business for far too long. And it cost me, it bottlenecked my company. It cost me revenue. It cost me growth. It probably even cost me um, employees because I tried to be the detail person and I'm not, I know this about myself. And if you don't know that about yourself and you really want to learn more about yourself, you should take a personality assessment, the Colby test, the disc, there's something called the culture index, whatever, like start learning about yourself. And, and if you just, if you find yourself avoiding details and like putting them off and doing other things, you're not a detail person. You, you probably, you know, if you're a detail person, but I learned, I had to learn myself. I, I was lying to myself because of my day job, I had to be a detail person. And although I was doing fine in my day job, once I got out on my own and realized I hated details, that was like one of my very first hires was someone who would come in and handle details. And for me in my business, that was uh, taking the purchase agreement, getting it to the title company, talking to the title company about all the things that they're going to need to close, going to the buyer, going to the seller, getting those details handled. Once the, the deal was ready to close, they were looking at the HUD, they were going line by line, like all these things. I'm not, I'm not the guy for that. If you have me, you know, check a settlement statement before a closing, be prepared to miss things because I will miss things. It's just not my forte. So I absolutely don't think if you're not a detail person, you should deal with them but that's the first person you hire, right? You start getting a deal. By the way, there's not that many details when you haven't done any deals. But once you start getting offer, you know, you start getting um, uh, leads in and you start making offers and getting deals, the details start piling up. First person you bring in is an admin type. If, if you're like me, bring in some kind of an admin person who can handle those details for you and just comb over them. And that's how they live for that. They live for the details. But I suggest you give them the disc, the Colby, give them some sort of personality assessment so you don't bring someone in who's wired to avoid details and wired to be bad at details because you're going to bring someone in they're going to be no better than you. You need to bring someone in who's just like a detail fanatic. They love it. They love combing over things, you know, dotting the I's, crossing the T's. You definitely should not do the details but unfortunately, we all have to start somewhere. And like I just said in the question before, don't go out and hire a team and then turn your attention toward leads. Leads first, okay? Just suck it up and handle the details for a minute, right? For a minute. And like I said, there's not that many details when you don't have deals. So don't worry about the details too much. But once the deals start coming in, the leads are coming in, you're starting to convert, you're starting to talk to sellers, get contracts, flip houses, whatever you're doing, go out and get that detail person, bring them in and download those details to them. That's what I would do. Okay, Michael says, do you feel like you learn anything when interviewing guests on your podcast? I learn a ton when I interview guests on my podcast. Selfishly, um, and if you go to Just Start Real Estate, you can check out my podcast um, two episodes a week, but I learn a ton. And selfishly, uh, I... You know, I'm to the point now where I get enough guest requests and people who want to come on that I can I can pick and choose. And I pick people who have skills or businesses or knowledge that I want or that I want to know more about or I want to get better at or something I don't even know and I want to learn it from scratch. Like I bring those people on so that I try to learn something every time I bring a guest on. I learn a ton. And by the way, my podcast isn't like you know, 10 questions that I cram down the throat of every single guest, no matter who they are, what they do, it kind of goes organic. So the podcast ends up being, it's an interview, but it's really a conversation. And a lot of times it's a conversation between me and someone who's really good at something that I'm not as good at a lot of times. And so I'm asking them questions from someone who's interested in getting better at what it is that they do. So 
not only do I learn when I interview people, like that's my goal is to learn. Like I want to learn. And I feel like if I'm bringing someone on that I can learn from and I'm asking them questions from the standpoint of like, I teach me, like I, I need to know more. I, I don't understand. Tell me how you do this. Tell me how that works. Then I'm going to serve all the people listening because they're going to have similar questions that I have, right? Someone coming from a uh, standpoint of not being, not being great at that thing. So um, yeah, the podcast is huge. Um, there's been times when I thought maybe, maybe I, I, maybe I'm done, but honestly, I learned so much. And I said, you know, you need to keep your ear to the ground. You need to surround yourself with people who know how to, how to survive and thrive in all market cycles. And I feel like through my podcast, I really do get the opportunity to do that. I talk to so many people who are incredibly, incredibly smart and experts in their areas. And I ask them every time I ask them on, you know, on camera, on mic during the interview, you know, what they think about things. But I also talk to them after the interview too, and sometimes have, have a, a short conversation before or after where I'm really digging in more and finding out even more. And then I try to bring that kind of stuff to you guys through the podcast, through these Q and A's, like, you know, I'm always trying to learn. I'm always trying to be educated. I'm always trying to get better and just be a little smarter. And I think anyone who's trying to be successful in anything should do that too, right? I mean, if you're not reading books, listening to podcasts, talking to people smarter than you, you're going, you're going to suffer. Your business is going to suffer. You're going to suffer. Um, and the more success you have, uh, you know, the more you realize how much you don't know and how much you need to have continuous learning, continuous education. You need to always try to get better personally, professionally, spiritually, if that's something you're into and something you, you, you find important, but whatever's important to you, I really think you need to try to get better at that thing or those things constantly. It's, it's constant learning. Um, you know, think of it like a shark, a shark can't stop swimming or it dies. I truly believe when people stop swimming, they start dying and it's swimming as a metaphor. Now, right? I don't swim a lot, but if you don't, if you stop learning, you, you, you literally like your brain, your business, um, your skill sets, they all start deteriorating. And so constant learning is super important. And I, I try to, I try to do that. I'm not always as good as I want to be. Like, I would love to be one of those people that say, I'm going to read 52 books this year, but I also know myself, I'm not going to read 52 books, but I'm going to inundate myself all the time with audio, with books, with video, and always feed myself in whatever medium I learn the best, or I know that I will spend time in. That's the medium that I try to make sure that I'm always, always getting things. Um, I rarely watch things for pure enter entertainment. I'm usually watching to learn something or to get better at something or to expand my mind or, or something. So I, I suggest that to you guys to listen. I, I said at the top, I said it uh, as I was talking here when it, when it kind of came up, but I have a program. It's called the Business Fast Track Blueprint. I don't offer programs as a general rule. I never have before. Uh, but this is this is something that I really think can help people. I really, really, really believe it. And I've tried to position it so that it's available literally to everybody. And you get me, it's four weeks. There is absolutely definite stuff that I will teach you in the program, but there's also a portion of it open to you to ask questions, to dig in up to your specific situation, your specific business, your specific set of uh, challenges and things that you have going on. And we can problem solve and get to the bottom of it, help you out on an individual basis. But also, like I said, you don't know what you don't know, right? So if, if you go into any learning environment and say, I need to know this, this, and this, and that's all, right? 
you're, you're probably dead wrong. You're crazy. You need to go into that situation and say, this, these are the things I, I think I need, one, two, three, right? But what else? What am I not thinking? What am I missing, right? And that's what this program does. I tell you of dealing with hundreds and, and teaching and coaching and mentoring hundreds of people for the last five years, hundreds. I know the things that need to be in place. I understand what has to happen to start a business and to scale a business. I, I really do. And those are the things I'm going to bring you, right? I'm going to, I'm going to serve these things to you because some of them, you won't even know that you don't know it. You need it. And then there's some things that are unique to you that I could not necessarily anticipate because it's very specific to you. And we'll answer those questions too, right? So we should get every basis covered. It's starting next week. If you go to the link in the comments, you can check it out. I want to see you on the inside. I want to help you grow your business. It's not too late. 2021, we're still in the middle of it. There's still plenty of time to get started and to drive revenue. There's still time to take your business that's already running and scale it and do better than you thought you could do. If you made that, that, choice at the beginning of the year and that resolution, or you just had it in your mind that you want to do this, the year is not over. Do not be the person who says at the beginning of you know next year, I'll do it next year. Don't be a next year person. Don't be a next month person. Don't be an at the end of summer, before school starts, after school starts, before Thanksgiving. Like don't, don't do that. Don't set these arbitrary, crazy timelines in the future where you're going to start because you'll find a reason not to do it again. Do it now. Start now. Next week is the first week of your business, whether you're scaling it or starting it. I want to be there for you. I want to help you guys. We'll see you next week, 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern time, 4 p.m. Pacific, right here. Go check out my podcast, Just Start Real Estate. We do this kind of stuff on there too. I answer a lot of questions and we have some great guests. So go check that out. If you're already signed up for the Business Fast Track Blueprint, I will see you on the inside next week. I can't wait to get started. All right, guys, we'll see you next time. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. Remember, I do these Q&As live on Facebook on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. I hope you enjoyed this. Tune in next week for another installment of live Q&As answering your questions. Okay. Until next time.